Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for the questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Jared W., Andy J., Paul M., and Luke A. Christian Malau is back on the program. Christian is the CEO of Equinox Gold, a growth gold producer looking to become a senior mid-tier producer in the next few years. Equinox has a number of operating mines and development projects throughout North America and South America. Equinox is a position held within our opportunities portfolio at Smith Weekly Research. The company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol EQX. Christian, thanks for coming back on the show to talk to us. How are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for having me back. Great to be here. It's been a while. Yeah, it has, Christian. It's been a while. Last time we talked to Greg and uh, had a good chat with him and good progress coming out of Equinox here, although uh, some people wouldn't notice it, especially the market. But let's kick things off here with a quick market view. You know, sentiment for gold equities is lower, yet the price of gold itself is holding up pretty well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's an understatement. <laughs> sentiment for gold equities is lower. Um, it's it's pretty bad out there actually right now. And I just came back from the, the conferences. I went in person to Denver and, and Beaver Creek just to really go and shake some hands and, and see what the sentiment feels like, not just sort of get it across the internet these days. And, um, you know, it's pretty pretty weak at the moment. And it's amazing because you're absolutely right. You know, the gold price still in the 1700s is a good price. And a lot of these companies that are producing gold are, are doing well, making good cash flow and and trading at kind of values and multiples that haven't been seen for years. And so it's it's sort of exciting in a way. It feels like it's setting up for something or or I guess maybe everyone's predicting gold's going back to a thousand, which I struggle to believe uh, myself. So it's an interesting time. And um, certainly, hopefully we spoke with our, our wallets when we went out and bought some shares as well in the summer. And I think it was August when Ross bought a couple more million dollars worth. And, you know, each of us as management bought, you know, like between sort of 50 and a hundred thousand dollars worth. And, you know, we already have big stakes, but I think we were just going, wow, you can buy the stock at less than $8 a share. It's an incredible time. And there's some disconnect at the moment and everyone's making, I guess, 20% on the S&P and not needing any exposure to gold, apparently. And, and everything's rosy out there. So uh, amazing, weird feeling right now. Yeah, it's it's an interesting time here, Christian, as you stated there. And um, I'm personally disappointed because I wasn't able to exercise my warrants, but uh, that's how it goes. But when you can get shares where it's at today and where it was in August, back up the truck at this point. Talk just about that for a moment, because August, we saw the lows in the price right now. Obviously, the, the price of the shares are a little bit higher, but you know, you guys stepped in, wrote some checks. Do you think that's the low for the company at this point, or do you think it is possible things could shake out lower? Well, it's always hard to predict because it's, there is so much market sentiment part as part of the, the story in a, in a way. And, you know, over the last year since we've acquired Leogold, we definitely have had a challenge with particularly Los Filos. And I think that's been a big knock to our, our stock price and the sentiment of the stock. You know, we'd really been sort of hitting on all cylinders and, and growing and acquiring. And I think uh, we've done a pretty good job building mines and all that. And, refinancing balance sheets and everything. And it's just, we really struggled with Los Filos since we've owned it. And we've had a couple of blockades there and uh, we had the COVID shutdown. So I don't know if we've had one full quarter of 
uninterrupted operations at Los Filos. So it's kind of knocked our confidence there a little bit. And we've said to the communities that, uh, you know, we, we won't invest in the new CIL plant there until there's some stability and sort of a longer term outlook. And, you know, we're back working as normal now. So hopefully that's behind us. And that's been one area that's, that's knocked us for sure. And definitely um, some investors, I think at the moment are definitely paying for dividends and yield and cash flow at the moment where we're a growth story. And we've been unabashedly um, saying we're a growth story from day one and, and had big ambitious plans and we have the highest growth in the sector. And I think at the moment, market's not really, you know, valuing growth and we think it will come back. It, it has to at some point because this is a depleting sector. You, if you don't invest or grow or, or add to your reserves and resources in a significant way, you know, you're a depleting business. And so um, we think that we're ahead of that curve maybe, and maybe we're a bit early, but uh, we'd rather be early than late. And, We'll have a sort of 75, 80% growth rate over the next few years as we get our big mines into production here. And, and maybe some people are going to wait to for that cash flowing sort of steady state business period when we start paying a dividend in a few years. So we've got a few things knocking us on top of the market. So it's been a tough period. Hopefully that is the low. Um, you know, we certainly have quarter threes looking pretty good and quarter fours looking really good which was always the plan the second half of this year is when the actual operational business starts to look better and is heading in that direction. Well, it's it's been a little bit of a bumpy ride, but quite honestly, it's been a pretty, you know, overall bigger trip has been a pretty good ride. And so yeah. it'd be interesting to see what you guys are able to do here in the final quarters. And then also, you know, Los Filos, I want to ask you about that in a moment, mm -hmm. but, you know, the dividend thing, paying a dividend for the sake of paying a dividend and saying you've done it, you know, I guess that's one way to look at it. And always been a debate a little bit over here. But when you have these kind of valuations in the sector today, your guys' growth ambitions, I tend to agree that it doesn't make sense to to pay a dividend unless um, paying one for the sake of paying one to attract people. But we know that's coming eventually. So I just say keep the course, stay the course. You guys are obviously delivering on construction goals. That's been proven and will continue to be proven here. Maybe we do just continue here with Los Filos for just a moment, since how you brought it up. Any updates on Los Filos, anything you can say on expansion timeframe here, uh, maybe just give us an update and how the community's feeling. We did resolve those two issues this summer and, and got back to work and it's been pretty good progress since then. You know, everyone's been back to work and, and pretty good morale again. But it was frustrating, you know, we we found that when we were investing in these two new deposits, an underground and an open pit deposit, which both of them have some lands from two individual communities, you know, they're really looking for bigger pieces of the pie. And we, you know, we did our best to accommodate that, you know, providing jobs and contracts and that, but we can't do it to the expense of the other communities. And we need to keep harmony in the whole region between all of our, our stakeholders. And unfortunately, a couple of these communities pushed us to the point where, you know, you just can't cross certain lines um, to disadvantage others or things that are not right, like paying blockaders for their time on the blockade, you know, paying families to basically blockade us is what they wanted expenses for. And they want NGO advisory fees paid like a million dollars. And we can't do that kind of thing, but we're willing to push jobs and preference and training and all that stuff to the communities because it's only good for the whole region. So we see that as a positive. And you know, it sort of came down to a point where we had to sort of draw that line. And I think maybe in the past, the companies in this area, or certainly that own this mine, didn't draw those lines. And I think the communities were a bit surprised that we, we had a point where we couldn't move past. And we wanted to set this up for the long term. When you look at New, Newmont, when they took over Penasquito, in a way, they went through the same process where there's a seven-month blockade there. And they just took them, sued them, and took them to court. And 
ultimately um, ended up negotiating with the Secretary of Interior in the room and um, got a resolution that hopefully will be long lasting there, but they weren't going to bend on certain principles and, and key uh, points of integrity. And, and we're trying to take the same sort of tact. And it's hard because you do see that the market cap gets knocked. You see cash flow going out the door for some fixed costs that you'd hope not to be spending without producing gold. And um, But we do believe in the long term, it is the better solution. And we said to the communities too, we will go and invest in Ontario. We've got a big mine to build there. We're investing currently in Brazil and we'll invest in California when we want to build Castle Mountain. If they want to wait and get in line behind all that and have us invest once there's stability there, that's fine. But um, we prefer to invest there sooner because it'll be a more efficient mine with a carbon and leach plant eventually built there. And so we haven't set a timeline. We, we will get a study out on that and it'll indicate kind of a theoretical timeline in there. But we've said to them, we want to see not just one or two quarters stability. We want to see some sort of tangible progress in that sense to working together and being partners in the long term. And we've got a good new general manager in there. He's been there for the last, uh, I guess, eight months now. And he's got Mexican experience, speaks the language, worked in Mexico most of his life and a whole bunch of different mining companies, dealt with blockades before and has a longer term view and previous management didn't have that kind of experience in Mexico at all. So hopefully that's another positive sign that, uh, you know, he'll be able to work with the local communities and building up that partnership. It's a tightrope process, I'm sure. And speaking just the Spanish language is not necessarily speaking the local language. As you know, it's significantly different talking to communities in certain parts of Mexico versus others, and also just communities in Central and South America uh, across the board, substantially different. And you have to speak the local language, not just Spanish. Hopefully there can be some changes there and some improvements and also just realization for the community that this is a big economic component and that in the long run, it makes sense to to work out a deal, even if they don't get everything that they want. And maybe you guys don't get everything that you want, but, you know, obviously this has got to be an important economic situation for the local communities that uh, will have to get resolved at some point. And that is one positive thing that did come out of it. You know, they, they did say to us, we do do want you to invest in this community, like in these areas and these new projects. We don't want you to leave in a sense. We want mining here and we want the operation because that's jobs. And a lot of people wanted to come back to work and we're not supportive of actually the actions that were taken by certain small leadership groups. So that was a real positive. We actually got to know the workforce better through that. And even the union members came back to work against their, their leaders' recommendations because they're like, we want to make a wage, you know, trying to fight for bonuses that aren't owed to us is not worth the fight when we're losing money on it every day for not working. And that was a real positive sign. And we have seven other mines. They only have one there. So, you know, we do, I guess, fortunately have the diversity and, and the scale that we can also invest and focus on other mines. Well, this one gets resolved and that's what we've been doing, but it is an important part of the future. So, uh, you know, I'm pleased to see it back on track right now. Yeah, we'll see what happens next year and cooler heads prevail on this and continue on. And it sounds like that's headed in the right direction, Christian. And, you know, yeah, it's interesting, you know, especially in developing nations. I certainly know uh, there's a different mentality and it's about stability and, and being able to put food on the table and these types of things and a roof over your head, a new refrigerator, et cetera. You know, it is a, a completely different mentality. And I think that that logic will prevail here as we continue. So, Looking forward to seeing what comes up on that, what progress is made over the next quarter or two on that. Um, let's skip over here to uh, Santa Luz for a moment. Talk about the operations update there. How's construction going? Uh, any challenges? Give us some information on where we're at here. Yeah, it's it's actually going pretty well. Um, I have to admit, it, this plant and this property was in better shape than we took over Arizona. So I, I guess we had a bit of a head start on this one. And we used some of the senior team members that we 
felt did a good job on bringing Orizona into production in much more difficult conditions with the rains and the rust and the the weathering and probably the inadequate infrastructure up there in, in northern Brazil, where this is in a much better place in Bahia and the weather is much more cooperative. So it's been coming along nicely. I would say COVID's been a little bit of a not a struggle, but we've had a few contractors have people off. And so there's a you know some days where you don't get the full workforce out in that. But we're basically on plan on on time on budget. And we did factor in probably a little bit of slowdown during the period for some period some COVID uh Call it minor disruptions in that, and I think so far it's playing out exactly like we we thought. And uh, you know, it's a hundred million dollar build, and it's tracking towards that. And uh, you know, should be pouring gold in the first quarter. So, unless something unforeseen happens here, that's tracking really nicely to to meet those targets. And you know, pleased with what the team has been doing. And um, you know, we're probably 65, maybe even close to 70% done physically. And and then we kind of commissioning will start close to year end. And should be pouring gold in the first quarter. And we've been mining there now for months. So using the same mining contract actually that we use at two other sites. So we have familiarity with them and um, that's been going well as well. And the team's been building up on the operational side and that one's kind of quietly just happening in the background. And it feels like a small project funnily enough these days because it's only a hundred million. Yeah, that'll add here. And I'm expecting to have some good numbers coming out of that next year. So good job on running that through. And how about Arizona? You guys put out a PFS recently. Yep. Um, maybe talk about the timeline. What's the thought process from PFS here to move to actually getting something underground going? Yeah, so Arizona, I mean, it's great to see kind of the tip of the iceberg start to, to surface in a sense for what we always thought would be a long life, kind of great mine. We've almost doubled the mine life to 11 years in this last go around where we put out the study and increased the reserve and resource. And, and there's so much more to come from both the open pit potential to the west, which we've just got the, the actual mining permit for um, Tatajuba, which we've been waiting quite a long time for. And also the underground, it's really just scratching the surface there. There should be more to come from the underground. So we see that as just continuing to grow. And we put all the capital and the plans into the PFS. And, you know, it's a, it's got a lot of its underground development, a bit, a bit of infrastructure upgrade for power and and that uh, along the way and a bit of equipment to go underground but that would probably you know, we'll just keep advancing that we want to continue and we eventually want to start developing it maybe as early as sometime next year it'll be kind of like light amount of capital to start as we just kind of start developing an underground portal and and uh, that'll give us this ability to drill closer to the actual ore body but also then eventually to get into mining in due course but it's a it's a good three plus years type of uh, timeline and you know, there isn't an absolute urgency to get to it, but, you know, it takes time to to do that development, to do the permitting and all that. And then we'll continue to evolve the open pit resources and reserves along to the west. And, you know, if we can start blending that material, you're looking at a mine that can do over 150,000 ounces a year. It becomes one of those sort of cornerstone mines of our portfolio. And it kind of always was in our minds, but I think now it starts to show the market that it can be. We'll have then the two core centers of excellence for us in Brazil, which would be Arizona and has a thousand square kilometers, potentially even for another mine on the property somewhere. And then you have the Santa Luz Fazenda trend, which is in Bahia, and they're only 70 kilometers apart. And we actually have thought about, should we report those two as one unit? Because really they're they're in the same greenstone belt. You technically could almost, once you just explore it, move some of the ore to the left or to the right, depending on which plant you want to put it in and the type of ore that you have. So we see them both as being sort of 150 to 180,000 ounces of annual production, kind of like our two core ends of the barbell in Brazil. Christian, talk a little bit more. You said tip of the iceberg. 
how important is this going to be? Do you see that this expands quite a bit more and Arizona becomes uh, something that's, uh, you know, competing with the top two to three mines in the portfolio? Yeah, I mean, the question will be, can we get it up to the annual production scale of those top two or three mines? You know, there is a potential. You, you really do have to then upgrade the infrastructure. But in terms of mine life and longevity and uh, prospectivity, I think it is up there already in a sense. Um, you know, if you were talking to Ross, he'd say this will be a mine that will go for decades and decades. And that was his first assessment from his two-day visit to site. He came back going, this is going to be a long-life mine. Love the underground potential. Um, he was in as soon as he had visited site in terms of that was the original 2017 investment that he made and when he came into the company. And when I first sat down there, and again, this is very forward looking and, and big blue sky, but I sat down with a head geologist who was ex-Anglo Gold. He's Brazilian. He'd worked uh, in that region for Anglo Gold in the original joint venture. And he left them to join a bankrupt Luna Gold because he loved the deposit. And I remember sitting down there doing due diligence, myself and the management team, and I sort of looked at the plant and it was rusting and I was like, ah, oh, God, it looks like a lot of work, you know, rains a lot here, but you can fix that. You know, that takes capital time, the right people in the team. And then I said to him, okay, so we're going to be able to fix that. So how much gold is here? There's only 970,000 ounces in reserve. Yeah, it's okay to start, but if there's potential here, you know, this is a really interesting area to be mining because we have a massive land package. And his response to me in, in a big way was, uh, you know, there's probably 30 million ounces of gold here. And, you know, I said, okay, just get me three to five and we can really make something of this to start. And, you know, we're kind of call it halfway there already. And, uh, you know, we've just increased the reserve to 1.6, 1.7 million ounces. So, um, you know, a really nice start to that and starting to show that picture. Um, and really it, it's just the, the time and the accessibility, but drilling every year, you know, we've committed, I think it was eight, nine million dollars last year. We're sort of doing the same this year. We'll probably just keep doing that. We'll just keep incrementally probably adding to the resource and reserve. And the great thing now is we built in the capital for the underground into our plans and that PFS. So all the incremental, say, 100 or 500,000 ounces that we add now really almost go to the bottom line because the infrastructure is there. You know, there's a bit of extra underground development, but most of it's there. So um, it'll be really uh, profitable ounces that we'll be adding in the future. Well, let's keep it going. This is one that's that's been on the radar and back to the Luna Gold days. And so yeah. it's really starting to, to prove itself up here. Well, let's move on to California, Mesquite and Castle Mountain. Let's lump those together, Christian, if you will. Both important projects. Any updates on these and any initiatives uh, you want to mention here? Yeah, the, those mines... Um... I've actually been going pretty well. We've been investing in them since, uh, I guess, about a year ago. Obviously, to get Castle Mountain up and running, you know, it had a slow start. We've now got the leaching going much better. Solution flow has improved. We've been figuring out some of the, the, I guess it's the old dump material that's had some fines and stuff in it. We've been working our way through that, but now we're hitting sort of annual or monthly run rate uh, that's within that sort of 30,000 ounce plus range, which is what we wanted to get to. Now we're getting ready to submit the permit for application for uh, the amendment to phase two. That is aiming for around year end when we'd submit that, and it's a probably two to three year period. We might need a full EIS for that, so that's why we factored in up to three years. What we're also doing is trying to make sure that we adapt our planning so that it's as, call it environmentally friendly, ESG friendly as possible. Things like potentially using some solar power, um, filtering the tailings and not having a tailings dam. So we actually put the tailings up on top of the leach pad so it's not actually in a tailings dam. Looking at recycling as much water as possible. Um, looking at the fleet as we grow and 
ideally, eventually, you're going to emissions-free fleets um, that, that are battery-powered, et cetera. And I know Kat Kamatsu are looking at that very closely with the big guys right now. So we're really trying to make that a, a sort of leading sort of ESG-focused mine because it's a project that ideally is in production about five years from now. So it may be able to even capture um, those benefits from a new truck fleet at that stage. So we hope that that will also make it more amenable to permitting. So that's the big sort of focus for us as we go forward. And we've been drilling for water there as well over the last year. And we've been hitting water in all the holes we've been drilling and doing all just starting the recharge and test uh, testing of those wells. And it's looking pretty good. So the water, I'd say, you know, likely is, is kind of come from a multiple set of those three or four areas that we've been drilling. And uh, the water should be sufficient for phase two. So, you know, Castle's moving along as, as we'd hoped. Um, it's probably a little slower, you know, and I think under this current regime, it's probably a little bit slower to permit. But again, this is a brownfield site being amended. It's not a brand new greenfield site. So uh, the permitting process is certainly more straightforward. And then Mesquite down the road, you know, it's had an investment phase, certainly for the first half of this year and late last year, where we basically have been stripping the brownie pit. So it's basically all waste stripping. And we, I think we've put, you know, very few tons of ore up onto the leach pad. So we've just been residual leaching the pad. Um, so we're at lower end of the ounce sort of range that people would expect. But what we've been doing is opening up this new ore source. And I'm just starting to see it uh, at the end of this quarter here, quarter three, um, where we've actually been stacking that new ore pretty religiously now for the past four weeks or so, maybe six weeks. And it's starting to come through and, and exactly the sort of the timeline we expected. So quarter four should be a bang up quarter for Mesquite. Lots of ounces compared to what you've seen all year. You know, that'll help drive our performance going into the year end. And, and Mesquite, uh, we just put out a new resource there that added almost three quarters of a million ounces. And that's the kind of low hanging fruit that's just hanging around Mesquite. And, and we're doing the same sort of type of drilling program this year. Not sure we're going to add quite as few, quite as many ounces in this go around, but we really think they're just going to keep adding a year or two here and there. Will we ever get that to maybe a 10-year life? Yeah, I'm not sure, but I have said to people, I don't know if I'd bet against it still being in operation in 10 years' time. Um, I just can't prove it to you on paper today. And um, Scott just keeps finding, you know, incremental ounces here and there. And we've actually poked a couple of holes to the far east and one kind of at the edge of the highway there, and it's hit the I think the highest grade uh, in the history of the mine, I believe. It's like 1.2 grams over 80 meters. So a really nice hole. And we're mining 0.2 grams, you know, 0.3 grams. You know, some interesting stuff going on at the highway. We've grabbed all the exploration concessions across the highway. And, you know, it's probably a couple of years out before we're even drilling in a place like that because we've got so much low-hanging fruit right around our current pits. And our problem is turning into actually get more pad space because actually finding the gold isn't proving to be the, the really difficult part. It's actually... We just need to make sure we're getting ahead of ourselves on permitting pad space. That sounds good, Christian. Uh, guys, you're working at every level there, squeezing every ounce. Um, yeah, certainly. So keep that up. It's good because I think you know some folks had thought that that asset's uh, on its way out, and but it looks like this continues to just keep moving along, and it's a very good piece of production profile for the company as well here. So looking forward to seeing uh, continued efforts in California, and glad you guys are getting along there in California as well and keeping those things moving. I was just going to add to that, you, you know, when you look at a few of the properties and the mines that we have, and I think a few people have given up on them, and historically, like Arizona, oh no, the rock's too hard, it probably won't work. Well, it's working just fine right now. And uh, Mesquite, it's at the end of its mine life, and oh, there's no more gold there. Well, there's definitely more gold there. And Castle Mountain, you'll never get it permitted or back into operations while well, it's operating again. So it's kind of fun. I think we're finding these projects that, that have a bit of a, a little bit of hair on them that, that people maybe don't value. And, 
And if you can resurface that value and put some effort into it, part of it's just team and part of it's capital and, and uh, reconfiguring a few of the, the, the pieces of equipment on the property, it's actually proven to be pretty profitable. So we just got to keep doing that. And I don't know if you're going to go on to Ontario there, but uh, you know, certainly I want to talk about that one too. No, I'm going to be mean to you here, Christian, and not talk about that. So let's move on. No, Greenstone. Yeah. Early work tasks uh, completed here. More items coming, but uh, maybe just give us an update on the timeline here, and then we'll get into a few other items. Yeah, I mean, Greenstone, we're, we're super excited about. Uh, you know, when you look at that project, it's five and a half million ounces and 14-year life to start underground and open pit potential. It feels a little bit like Arizona, but on a bigger scale, um, and it's in Ontario. It'll be the third or fourth largest operating gold mine in Canada when it's up and running. So we're extremely excited about that. And we kind of go, I think at the end of the day, when you step back and you look at what we eventually paid for it relative to the value we've got in the other assets we acquired with Premier, it's going to be a heck of a deal and it's extremely creative and just a fantastic gold mine with tons of potential long term. And the goal at the moment really is we've cleared trees. The camp just opened, I think, last week, a temporary camp project teams building up our, our project teams integrating with G mining who's been doing some of the engineering and will help execute the project we've been basically uh, starting various contracts and making certain commitments to early uh, early works ordering and that and the idea here is you know ideally in the next quarter is to be um, announcing full construction and it's really almost on the back of Santa Luz being done we're ready to move on to the next one although the teams are completely discreet so there's no real overlap other than some corporate oversight in that. Us and Orion have just been doing all our homework to get ready for that, working with the project team where they get all their project controls and the project readiness into place and their systems and stuff and, and then pull the trigger and say, all right, we're off to the races. And once we announce construction, it's a good two year, two and a bit year build. So, you know, our current estimate and we'll make it more clear when we come out, but it's pouring gold in the first half of 2024. And um, so it's it's a long period in time and it'll be, you know, give or take a billion and a half dollars Canadian um, split 60-40, you know, us funding 60% of it and Orion's funding 40% of it. Um, that's a big project and it does factor in some of the, the escalation and inflation you've seen in steel and, and uh, various other input commodities and that recently. Hopefully we're coming off of the boil on some of that. We are starting to see, you know, the iron ore price coming down. We're starting to see, you know, some of the anticipated steel prices and that coming forward in the future um, moderating a bit so I'm hoping that we've gone past the peak at least in the short term but really we've just been getting our ducks in a row so we can announce that official capex and the timeline and and really get it off to full construction here in the fourth quarter so that would be the plan. We've had quite a few supply chain disruptions you know we've got a lot of volatility in the prices for a lot of different commodities out there What's the thought process on your side as far as some of these long lead time items and mm -hmm. orders? You know, obviously some of the pricing today may be different in six months time or even less than that. What's the thought process on you guys ordering some of these long lead time items that you think is going to be even worse in the future? Do you think it works out if you wait? What's the trade-off there? What's your thought process on that? I do think it feels like we've hit an intermediate peak in, in some of this. I mean, I'm not necessarily going to uh, bet on that. So we're not going to just sit around for six months or a year waiting, hoping that some of these prices come off or the lead times decrease. I think that what we've had the benefit of, I guess we've seen other big projects recently and also these suppliers who are working with them indicate that here is the extra lead time you need. So that's factored into that you know, timeline that I've indicated. And some of the extra cost and inflation and escalation is being factored into it. And, 
you're seeing that go anywhere from five to ten percent, and in some cases, you do see you know bigger increases, but certainly five to ten percent. I think a couple of recent projects have been going escalation in the total project cost of fifteen percent up to twenty percent, and I think that's roughly what our our increase will be when you know, 1.5 billion includes that 15 to 20% increase over the original feasibility done a couple of years ago. So I think I'm hoping that maybe we factor in a little extra because you know these current lead times and, and issues are at least moderating in the future. But you know, it's something you really have to keep an eye on. And I think when we go to ordering pieces of equipment or supplies, part of the thinking now is where is it coming from? You know, when we ordered the mill for uh, Arizona, it came from Asia and um, we had to watch that shipping and that was two years ago, watch it every day. And, and, you know, it was delayed a bit right now, you know, that may factor into whether you order something out of North America or Asia, you know, it may just actually be that little bit of impetus to say, Hey, that price differential or that lead time differential isn't worth the, the risk of coming across the ocean versus coming up from, from the U S or from partly in Canada as well. Um, so it's definitely factoring into the thinking. Yeah. Good points. I'd like to think that, you know, some of this is a rounding error, Christian, and the first and foremost, the most important thing is for this project to stay on schedule reasonably within the budget uh, for purposes of it's such a substantial cornerstone when it's in production for this company, that that's probably the more important goal here is just making sure that it gets done and uh, let's split pennies, you know, after that. That's, it's completely true. And I, I think we see this as a true cornerstone that really rounds out the portfolio. And what it also does is it de-emphasizes any one region or asset going forward. And I think with Santa Luz coming up and running, you, you've got a good production base in Brazil. You've got California now um, with that visibility to being, you know, 350,000 ounces of production once the second phase is up and running. It de-emphasizes also Los Filos, I guess, you know, once you have this up and running and a 250,000 ounce producer, which would be our attributable share of production, you know, what is that worth in Canada with a very nice all in sustaining cost, you know, potentially billions of dollars of value. Um, just on its own. So for us, it's a critical part of our, our future and part of bringing the cost down overall, part about diversifying the portfolio, put it, giving us that foothold in Canada. We also have some tax losses in Canada because we have a corporate head office here. Um, so some real advantages to get that up and running. And I think some of our investors are really looking for that stability and Ontario is a great jurisdiction. Yeah, good points. It's good to add Canada. If you've got other challenges in Canada than what you might have in Brazil or Mexico, but it is good to add it and makes some sense. Any particular, just on the broad portfolio, Christian, any particular higher risk issues do you see across the, the company portfolio at this point that might notably impact goals over the next 18 months or so? Yeah, we, we look at it, it, your portfolio comment is actually the key thing that we think about is you know, what's the right portfolio, the right size, and, and how do we execute and deliver on our, our development projects, which are a key part of the portfolio. And, and I think when people do look at it, say you got a lot on the go. So, you know, deliver on those core projects. Those are what you really need to focus on, spend your time on a little less M&A right now. And I think also maybe simplifying the portfolio. So we may end up selling, you know, one or two, you know, I'd say more like one, but one or two of the small assets that produce, you know, 50,000 ounces of gold per year. Um, so that's a possibility here in the near term. And the other side of it too, we also, and I don't want to forget about it, we also have a couple of really nice investments in our portfolio, but they're not, a, don't take much attention from us, but Solaris is worth about $300 million today in our portfolio. We own 17-ish percent of that after our recent sale of a uh, small stake. And then also um, we own a third of I-80 Gold. 
And IED Gold was that original spin-out from the Premier Gold acquisition where Ewan went off to run the three Nevada assets, and he's just done a bang-up job on that so far. Um, he's basically done that asset swap with Barrick. Now he gets the roasting and the, the processing capability to handle his refractory ores, which he's sitting on one of the highest-grade deposits at McCoy Cove in all of North America. It's like it's 11 grams per ton. And, um, you know, he can now process it. And that's just fantastic. And he has a runway maybe to three or 400,000 ounces of annual gold production. So we'll own a third of that. And he's almost increased the value of, of I-80 to the value of Premier when we bought Premier. So we own a third of now a company that's the size of, in terms of Archicap, almost the size of Premier when we bought it. So it's just been amazing in the first six months since he's had it. Uh, you know, and it, I think it also, I hope, proves the point that sometimes pushing out a few of the smaller assets where someone else gives them attention, invests in them, takes them forward, can create more value than trying to hoard assets. You know, Because if we had those three little Nevada assets in our portfolio, they'd be getting no attention from us. Or if we had Solaris in our portfolio and that Ecuadorian asset, it wouldn't get the same attention from us. And now those two alone have almost half a billion dollars of value that we own um, in terms of uh, liquid securities. So something that, uh, you know, we also look at the rest of our portfolio. We've got a bunch of other kind of earlier stage assets, a few in Ontario that maybe, maybe we should be trying to surface value from those as well. Yeah, both Solaris and I-80 has been a tremendous success. I don't think anybody could have expected this type of success as quick as it happened. Yeah. Um, especially Solaris. I mean, those assets were valued way back three, three and a half, four years ago, maybe 38 million Canadian, if I recall, um, at least in yeah, my Yeah, when math. we spun them out, I think in 2018, when we spun them out, you're exactly right. I think it was right around 40 million. Yeah. And, uh, you know, tremendous success on the team over there and, and, and really just a good strategy on, on how it was done. And I-80's been uh, just, again, a surprise. Um, IED is in an interesting location in Nevada as well as another jurisdiction here that uh, is important. And that was so, more strategic to us. You're right, because it is gold. It's in our backyard, literally across the border, because we're right on the Nevada border in California there. So we, we are interested in having our roughly 30%, 25, 30% of that company right now. And do we want to own, own more in the long term? Maybe. But right now, we're pretty happy to own it. Whereas Solaris... I do think at some point a copper major will want to own that asset. So it'll likely get sold at some point, you know, and us and Richard Wark, I think we'll own between 40 and 50% between us. So uh, we're pretty happy to partner with him. He's been a great partner to us as well on Equinox. Yeah. And the cash flow is just starting to print out for the copper producers. And if it stays around yes. these levels, uh, you know, Freeport and a lot of these folks, Southern Copper, et cetera, tech, you know, it's going to start helping out, you know, some of their cash flows and, and subsidizing some of their other issues as well. So that's good to see. And yeah, a lot of attraction there on that. So we'll see what uh, Dan and the club will continue to do over there with Solaris. Well, how about uh, any updated guidance you can give us uh, on 2021 production? Where do you see, you know, maybe you can give us just a, a quick look ahead, Christian, on where you see, you know, Q3 and yep. Q4 coming in from a ballpark perspective. We sort of indicated this early in the year, but it is always hard. Like I think everyone tends to expect every quarter will be roughly the same, and it's previously evenly split. But this year, it definitely was a tale of two halves. And first half, I'd call it, uh, you know, we were producing give or take 125,000 ounces a quarter. Um, you will see a, a reasonable tick up as we expected in Q3, and I think Q4 should be a really good quarter. You know, and and we we stuck stuck as close as we could to our original guidance this year. We did reset it down a little bit for production because of the Los Filos hiccup, we just weren't producing for a number of months this year. And um, it set us back in terms of getting high grade ounces onto the pad. So 
Unfortunately, we did reduce our guidance for that, but we actually increased our guidance for the other assets across the board. And, you know, we really do have an outside chance of hitting that original guidance range. And that for me would be a, a wonderful target to hit. And that was originally 600, I think, to 665. I think we reduced it by, oh, in total, I think it was 40,000 ounces, you know, at the top end and the lower end. And um, we still have a shot at hitting that original guidance range, which would be a heck of a result considering the hiccups that we had there with Los Filos this year. And we did reduce that quite materially. So I think that will be nice to see. And I think you'll see the costs improve in these two quarters as well, because we are producing more gold. Uh, we're actually putting some nice grade up on, on the pad at Mesquite. Obviously with full production coming from Los Filos, you're obviously going to see that improve as well. And a couple of the other mines have been performing pretty well, actually. Um, so we're actually looking at a pretty good end of the year. How about the capital structure at this point, Christian? Cover the shares outstanding mm -hmm. here, cash position, and then also any ownership you'd like to point out. Yeah, so, I mean, we have about 300 million shares outstanding. Um, we did have these warrants, unfortunately, because I own a bunch of them too. Uh, it looks like they're going to expire out of the money here. I think it's October 6th, so in a week's time. So that's 16 or 17 million, I think, shares that would have created are going to be gone. So I guess there's less dilution, so there's a positive in that sense. And then in terms of the balance sheet, what we have currently is 330 million of cash, I think, at the end of last quarter, and it stayed pretty steady. We've got a couple hundred million dollars available in a revolving credit facility. We've got, you know, the four to 500 million dollars of investments in I-80 and Solaris. We've got pretty decent operating cash flow. And we're well-funded, really, to deliver on, on our growth projects here, and we do need to sequence them, which is the plan. Get Santa Luz done. It'll add nice production next year. You're building um, Greenstone over 2022 and 2023, basically, and then you'd be building Castle, call it after that. So we are sequencing those projects. I'd like to say we planned it that way, but in a way, it just that's the way it happened, and they just naturally follow one after another, but it actually is the right way to do it as well. So, you know, there's a disconnect between the expected production and financial profile of the company in the coming 24 months as compared to the risk the company has on delivering on those goals. It seems to be a question of execution on the construction and commissioning front at this point, Christian. I mean, the permitting regulatory side is pretty well set. When do you think the company valuation starts to fall more in line with peers? Yeah, it's... <laughs> And I've been through this phase a couple of times before, you know, when we were building Endeavor and probably the earlier days at New Gold. And uh, one thing I do know is it's hard to guess the markets. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes you go, all right, you need a quarter or two of operations and improving out that mine is whatever doing it said it would do. But sometimes you see the market does anticipate that and they jump ahead of it, or sometimes they actually wait a little longer. And so, you know, if I were a guessing man at this stage, I'd say, you know, people want to see Greenstone up and running. So there's probably a couple of years here to kind of de-risk that project, you know, but there will be some confidence built from getting Santa Luz up and running. And, you know, it'll add another 100,000 ounces of production roughly next year. You know, it may be a year after that as you get uh, Greenstone up and running. Um, so I do think there's a bit of a curve or a, a, a wall to climb in a sense, building that confidence, getting people over that wall and um, seeing the other side of it, which once you're through to the other side, I mean, um, it's amazing how quickly people will turn the corner and go, wow, look at how many, like a million ounces of gold at a good cost and uh, good cash flow and potential for a dividend. And, and there's still some growth in the portfolio that's already, you know, embedded in the portfolio. We don't have to go and buy it necessarily. So um, it will take time to turn, I think, the corner for some people. But I think um, if as well, the other catalyst might be that, you know, if the gold price does get a, a bit of a bid here and, you know, you can talk to all different people. Some think it's going down, some think it's going up. I tend to think in the 
the midterm is going to trend up just in you can't have the kind of abuse of government balance sheets and that that we have and, and interest rates that you know that doesn't allow the gold price to have a bit more upside risk to it than downside in the midterm um, that could be the other thing that's interesting because we got a lot of leverage to go we've got a massive reserve and resource base we have growth that's built into our portfolio to a million ounces a year and lots of exploration potential so i do see and maybe you do see it on a daily basis we trade up and down sometimes a little more than the average steady state gold producer and that's because we've got that leverage and and that growth built into the portfolio i think yeah there's there's little respect for the reserve base uh, certainly the the gold price is going to play a, a fairly large role here christian uh, mm -hmm. of course company specific delivery on continued goals and then also the fact that the growth profile hasn't been respected either but it doesn't mean to go away from it i think just like you and i touched on earlier with the dividends and stuff i mean it makes sense to attack growth here because in the current market environment growth is the the best cost and that's going to be rewarded later on here so i think you've got a, a mix of things and i think also when people look at this you know some of the analysts out there including us think we're nuts on what we think the expectation price would be later on for this company and i think it's very very realistic and viable you know so it's it's a good setup here and i think you guys just continue to do what you're doing and the market will eventually come around to your line of thinking Andrew, I do believe some patience here will be rewarded in due course. And you look at the last cycle. I just I still remember some of the deals in that last cycle where there were cash bids of seven billion dollars for, you know, Redback and I think it was actually you know, the old Equinox, even though it was, uh, it was I think copper gold. But we're not in that kind of cycle right now, and and we're glad that we've been buying and building these assets. Well, it's still call it reasonably cheap because we don't want to be the guys paying seven billion in cash for an asset you know, at the top of a cycle. And, uh, you know, it, it's hard to go against that grain right now and be actually buying and building and, and spending capital because I think that's not what the market's asking for. But um, as this cycle does get some some traction, I think it will be very much what will be asked for. It will take a couple of years to and a bit of patience. Yeah, I think this is the better path. And Ken Ross is still reeling from that purchase. But yeah, you're right. It's the better way to go here. And as long as this stuff stays cheap, you guys have to still be looking on the M&A side. There's, there's just some stuff that can't be passed up here. And It yeah, is tough it though is. right now. You know, we don't really have the currency that we feel is, is valued appropriately at the moment. So it's tougher, but also we need to digest what we have done. So I think I would say, you know, you're not necessarily likely to see a deal in the next year from us. You know, I'm not saying in the future there won't be, because I think one of the po positive things that a company like this needs to keep doing is, recycle the portfolio a bit when a couple of assets get a bit small you do need to let others run them and give them attention and then maybe you add another call it greenstone type project further down the line or something um, that kind of thing would be great um, yeah but not, not today if you guys are going to move some of the smaller assets and that the cash flow continues to print here that obviously looks pretty good for uh, if sentiment and prices remain low that it makes sense to uh, potentially look at something of that of that size range you're looking for at this point so yeah, we'll see what you guys come up with and we'll see what the market does. And in the meantime, I guess the good thing, Christian, is, is you guys are printing cash. And as that cash comes out, uh, you guys will apply that where it makes the most sense here. How about comments on Agnico and Kirkland getting together? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't looked too closely at it. I mean, I'm obviously quite aware of those companies. I think they're both good companies. I think the deal kind of makes sense. I mean, I guess I like the big Canadian champion there. I think they'll have 85% of their assets in Canada. Um, there are benefits from corporate cost savings, cost of capital, um, 
to good jurisdiction-based companies. And I think consolidation is healthy to a certain degree. And maybe it is a little bit of the positivity and impetus that the sector needs. And, you know, there are, there are only two large gold mining companies beyond that um, out there. And I was talking to someone the other day and, and for big generalist funds to get exposure to gold, I mean, to invest only in Barrick and Newmont, which are still kind of small for, for leading industry companies, you know, they're very small market cap. So I think it's healthy um, to also attract interest in the sector generally. And I think they're both pretty well-run companies and Nico's obviously got a wonderful track record and it's an elegant way to, you know, maybe Sean Boyd, I think he's becoming chairman in this. It's an elegant way for him to step up as well and see a bit of a transitioning as well in the leadership there. And so I think it's actually a pretty good deal. And again, it's a, I think it's a close to nil premium type deal. So again, we're big supporters of that. We see the, the benefits of getting some synergies, which they've indicated some pretty big numbers. Um, and I'm sure they're probably the more conservative end of things. So overall, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty supportive of that kind of deal. On ESG initiatives, I think we need to probably cover that just a little bit here, just for the sake of ESG and some of the popularity with regards to this. Any specific work that you'd want to point out at the community level across the mines and development projects on the ESG front? Yeah, we're we're kind of rolling out a lot of our plans. We're getting the baseline data and that. And for this year, one thing that we really are focused on is where are our emissions and you know, where are we generating you know the carbon uh, effectively and um, where can then we actually deal with it? And we want to set a net zero target at some point here. And we're a little bit behind a few of our peers, but we're also a brand new company. So we'll get there, but we're learning some great stuff. And I mean, if you look at the truck fleets and the power for our plants, those are where the big emissions are. And we're working on that. And we're able to work that into some of our projects as we move forward as well, like I'm saying Castle Mountain and think about it. So we're always pushing that boundary. And one thing I'm really proud of that we're looking at right now is um, in Brazil, the team, and they came up with it, not us pushing from the top. They said, look, we can move to all solar and wind power. There's these turnkey independent power suppliers that will go in and create these plants and supply the grid. And then we can draw the power and it will be all renewable and it will be cheaper. It will be $10 million a year of potential savings from doing something like that. So it's good for the business and it's good for the environment. So that kind of thing I think is the future where it actually is now competing against traditional sources of energy. Um, so that's the kind of stuff I love seeing and we'd love to be able to look at rolling that out across our portfolio if it works in other countries as well. Um, so that's kind of tangible on the ground stuff. Um, another little thing again, if you want a, a real anecdote is we obviously had the big rains in Arizona, which we have every year, but we had it particularly high this year and it, it did um, cause some disruption, turbidity in the water systems for the local communities. We've decided to rebuild their whole uh, water treatment plant because you know it just wasn't adequate for the for the growing community there, and also for the weather disruptions that we seem to be seeing more frequently. So we're rebuilding that, and I'm really pleased to see that happening. It should be open up and open up and running by the end of Q4 this year, and that's a nice little positive sign and something that I think we're doing that's in and above what we really need to do purely for the community. We just see it as actually, it's the, it's actually a tough region to get clean water, despite the fact there's so much water, but to actually get clean water sourced to people's homes in a, a very uh, consistent way. So um, little things on the ground like that are great. And obviously with Los Filos, it's all about community and building those relationships and looking at partnership ways to partnership with them, um, you know, maybe do some things where it's not just us building things or doing things for the communities, but where can we actually do it with them where they contribute, call it labor and maybe land and we'll contribute, you know, contractors or equipment or money or whatever. And we can do some things together and hopefully celebrate them at the end as, as actually joint projects. 
I think that's good. And, you know, you mentioned the clean water initiatives. That's important. And it's hard to, uh, it should be a big factor in scoring, even on carbon neutrality, net zero stuff. I mean, clean water has got to be a, a substantial positive and more than people would guess. And I think people in, I guess I'll call it advanced economies or advanced societies, I suppose, even though that may not do it justice, Christian, that people tend to forget in the developing nations how important clean water is. I mean, people in Canada probably take it for granted. You know, clean water is a, a big deal. Absolutely. So, absolutely. You know, it's becoming tougher and tougher to come by in some parts of the world. Absolutely. Uh, how about the uh, the local training program being funded by the province of Ontario? Can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, it's it's something that um, I think we were supportive of. The local area, the local First Nations, obviously have been very supportive of, and it it's actually some training for particularly for the First Nations to get skills and training for. Uh, things that will put them in a place to, to qualify for jobs in, in the mine. And I think it's just a wonderful thing because, uh, you know, there really hasn't been that kind of skill base or experience in the region before. And I think the government putting some investment of that is great. And it makes our lives easier, but also the lives of the people who are coming up through the system there in the First Nations to get some skills so that they're more confident as they come into jobs that maybe they haven't had exposure to before. And, Obviously, we've made big commitment to there's, there's sort of five First Nations around that area that we want to do lots of work with, and we're already doing some contracts with them. But as we grow the, the actual employee base, we'd like them to be working at the mine as well. So that's what it's really focused on, getting them ready to work at the mine. Glad you guys are doing this stuff early on and uh, keep up the efforts on that front. I think that's really important to sustaining the local communities and establishing skills and stuff that goes beyond a mine, just not a mine, but is sustainable after Greenstone is, is done and closed in the future. So good on you for that. Well, Christian, let's wrap it up here. Potential investors of all types who are listening in, including folks that already have a position, like myself, Equinox stands at about the $2 billion mark U.S. dollars. What would you say to those who are listening about the promises of this company? You'll be hard-pressed to find a, a company with growth that's funded in, in its portfolio of this scale and at this kind of value. So for us, it's a kind of an exciting time where we're really setting the platform up for the future. And I think now it's all about execution. So hopefully uh, those who've jumped on along for the ride or who haven't yet, there's an opportunity still to, obviously. Um, it's going to be an exciting next two to three years as we actually make this a million-ounce producer, which was the original, call it, big audacious goal you know, it'll be a nice, big, profitable million ounce producer in the next two to three years. Excellent. Well, when we get to that point, Christian, you know what's next? We just got to look to the move the needle higher than that. So let's keep <laughs> up the efforts. <laughs> How yes. about the best way for folks to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, our, our website, obviously, equinoxgold.com is good. Lynn Bailey, who heads our investor relations, is very accessible. I mean, all you have to do is literally go on there and write to our investor relations and you'll get a response from her. And I am very accessible. I pick up my phone and, you know, please just reach out if you want to talk to one of us. We're, we're happy to. And we'd love to hear investors' points of view, even if they're, you know, not happy about something that we've done or the share price performance. Uh, we are shareholders as well. So we're living it with you and I'm very happy to talk about it. Sounds good. Well, I always encourage folks to pick up the phone. Well, yeah. Christian, let's leave it there. Always a pleasure to chat with you, sir. And uh, all ahead full with Equinox. Great. Thanks very much. And let's do this again uh, a little bit more frequently.